Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship, and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I am here, as always, with Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Oh, great to be back, Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Father Stephen, so I wanted to talk today about church architecture. Growing up in the churches I grew up in and now attending Anglican sanctuaries, um, even though we uh, not not all uh, Anglican churches in our in our di- in our province uh, have you know uh, traditional looking church architecture anymore, um, but uh, our church, for instance, in uh, Chicago, just. Uh, uh, purchased uh, a church building that has a, a lot more of a traditional feel to it. Um, and it, it strikes me that there is, just like the liturgy, there are so many things in how these churches were built that had significance and meaning, but also just practical uses. And for someone who's not from the tradition, it's kind of hard to tell the one from the other. <laughs> but the, the, I think the overwhelming impression that I hear from absolutely everybody is that church architecture uh, in both the West and the Eastern traditions, traditional church ar- architecture is a really beautiful thing. Uh, and it's, it's something that is, is, is universally uh, enjoyed and by, by everyone who comes in. Even people who don't care much for the faith like to go into these sanctuaries. So um, I, would love to, I would love to talk over just what are the, what are the pieces of the traditional uh, Western sanctuary and uh, what, what do they mean? Are these characteristics pretty common across the Western tradition? Very common across the Western uh, tradition. And in the East, they have, they're different in the East. Uh, there are variations on them. But, you know, in every society, anywhere you go around the world, uh, for example, if you go in the Middle East, uh, you, you know when you see a mosque. You know, you, that's, that's right. It's, uh, religious buildings, if you go, in the, uh, you go in Indian things, you know when you're, you're seeing uh, you know, Hindu structures and things. They obviously stand out as houses of worship. There's right. always something distinctive about them and their architecture. So one, almost all societies have something special about houses of worship. And so, you know, they have meaning, and we have the same thing uh, in Christianity and in the Western Church, which we come. And we have some of the most beautiful examples are in England, for example, and many of those are reproduced here in the United States as well, that same type of architecture. So everybody's been in a building like this. It will be in one again. If you go to any city in Europe, you're going to see the, the great cathedrals and things will be built like this, the basic. But even the regular parish church in England will have the basic components. Okay, so like... From Chartres Cathedral in France down to you know the uh, a small parish, like we we're going to see variations on these common uh, features, right? Mm-hmm. So l- let's talk about the kind of just the 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 big shape of of the building. How are these buildings typically shaped? Well, when we started actually building our own churches, you see, originally in the earliest church, we took existing Roman buildings. Uh, typically courthouses, when Christianity became legal because they were big enough to hold large numbers of people, which were just rectangles. But as soon as we start building our own buildings, what we started to do is we, we build them in the shape of a cross. And there are two types of crosses. There's a Greek cross where both arms of the cross are the same length. It looks like a plus sign, okay? And then we have the, what we think of as a cross where we have a long vertical bar and a shorter horizontal bar, which is called a Latin cross. 
So basically in the Eastern church, they tend to be a Greek cross. And in the Western church, they tend to be a Latin cross as far as the basic structure. If you look at the, 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 the layout, you know, the architectural plan for a Western church, it tends to be a, a, um, a Latin cross. It has a longer vertical bar than it has a horizontal bar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But something else that the church tried to do in the early church, you know, Jews always prayed facing towards the temple in Jerusalem. Now, for us, that happens to be east. It's not always east. For those of who has visited Masada, for example, there's a, the remains of a synagogue there in Israel. And uh, I was once there with somebody who was wondering, well, gee, how come it's facing west? Because the, tr- tr- the temple is west of here. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> the, the most people, that, you know, they talk about the eastern wall in the synagogue. But the idea was they, they, they um, because Solomon said anyone who, you know, turns their face towards this place. And so people took that literally. And Jews always had the synagogue, you know, basically faced towards Jerusalem, which was east. That's why you talk the best place in the synagogue is the eastern wall, you know, towards the, that's the front rows. And so for us, we said Christ was the rising sun of righteousness. So for us, we took the same view. The churches really should, we should all be looking east. And so originally when we started building buildings, we, we actually had that the top of the cross pointed east. So, the, you know, okay. the church was sort of like from where you think of a map, you're, you're the top of the cross, that little smallest part is facing east. You know, the, the long bar of the cross is all lay, laid from east to west with the front of the church being the east. And, okay. you know, the other bars would, uh, you know, just go north and south. So that's normally we and actually the, the dealt with it. The church has traditionally used something called ad orientem simply is the Latin term for eastward to the east. And normally the idea is we were all praying together. And so the priest would actually have his back when, when actually engaged in prayer because we'd all be facing the same direction. So priests and things uh, looked toward the altar, you know, their back, you know, they, and they're backward towards us. And, you know, our back was, you know, toward the people behind us, you know, everybody was facing the same direction. So the church faced east and everybody in it. Now there's one interesting uh, exception to this for very early times is when they, you know, what do you do in a church you just can't build it facing east like that. There's some architectural problem. There's something wrong with the ground. Well, one of the most famous churches in the world has that. St. Peter's in Rome. Because the actual tombs they're built over, you can't build it and have the, it won't work. And so it was the only church uh, for centuries, uh, the modern, modern version, where the, in a papal mass, the Pope in Rome, when he celebrated mass, would actually be looking at you, the congregation, (laughs) because they were actually looking west. He was looking east. But they thought the celebrants certainly had to look east. But the only way he could do it was looking over the congregation. Mm. So your little boy, one of the things that you strike in Rome, why is he facing the wrong way? You know, we're all looking at him. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's the only one facing the right way. Yeah. (laughs) And and sometimes we'd have other things they they would call liturgical east, meaning that even though we don't literally say it doesn't point east, we'd simply say that the focus of a church is always one particular space. And if it's not actually east, we pretend it is. We call it liturgical east. Sure. (laughs) But this was all meant to symbolize facing God and or facing Christ as that, as the the symbol of the rising sun. Right. Um, And also the idea of, you know, life versus death, resurrection versus, you know, that's why the enemy you know, darkness comes in the West. And that's why at the gates of all those great cathedrals in Europe, what do you see? You see this, the last judgment scene. That's the end mm-hmm. of the story, is the last judgment. We know when the sun goes down, you know, is the last judgment. I see, I see, okay. Yeah, so churches face, it, face east. Whenever you could build one, you build it facing east. 
Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense for the priest to face that way. If you know we're all pl- all praying together toward God, and He's the one up there, um, you know, on behalf of the congregation, but we're all facing the same way. Yeah, it's it seems to make a lot of theological sense. Um, we all we we face the congregation these days, but even now, I while when I'm celebrating, there's a in our church building, there's a little. There's a little triptych of windows up at the top uh, of the of the back of the sanctuary with with cro- with the cr- the three crosses in them. So I'm always looking there when I'm I'm praying at the very least. Um, so great. So you know when I in my Baptist church growing up, we the it was actually the 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 back or the the front of the sanctuary wasn't the altar. It was actually the baptistry. Um, it was it was a, a where that was kind of the the spot where the whole you know the whole sweep of the room ended in. But where were the where is where's the baptistry in traditional architecture? Well, first of all, originally it wasn't even the church at all, because the idea was that baptism is how we entered the church, and so it would be a separate building. Like if you go to Florence at the Duomo, the famous cathedral in Florence, you'll notice there's, mm. there's these famous baptistry doors. It's a separate building outside the church. So people traditionally were built, were baptized in a separate building and then came into the church. It was symbolic. And even in modern churches, as I think we might have mentioned in, when we talked about baptism, normally baptism ought to occur at the front of the, at the back of the church, near mm, the doors. Yeah. The closer to the doors, the better. But the idea is supposed to be this is how you enter the church. It's a sacramental sign of this is how we enter this body, mm-hmm. is through our baptism. Mm-hmm. I see. Oh, that's that's really fascinating. I didn't know that. Um, so, okay. So the, uh, you know, the, the place where you come in, like you come in from the outside through the doors of the church, I was pretty used to calling it the lobby, but I, um, that, that the term is indistinguishable from, you know, airports or, or office buildings or things like that. When I started going to Anglican churches, everybody started, was talking about the narthex, um, but is that is that basically the same area? It's the the area of the building right outside of the sanctuary, um, and is it is there any significance to that, or is it just what you call the lobby? Well, actually, um, the two terms that are used in uh, you know by churches typically are either vestibule or narthex. Narthex is the more Anglican term, and I'll tell you there's an interesting history where we get the term from. But a vestibule actually is a generic term. Any, ent- any covered entranceway into a building, you know, like, you know, is, is technically a vestibule. For example, a great church in Europe will have several vestibules for each transept. You know, each one of those wings will have its own doors. And in those doors, you know, you, you have a vestibule. Mm-hmm. So a narthex simply meant the vestibule, which is directly at the opposite end of the church from the east, the far west end. The vestibule at the far west end on the other end was called the narthex. And here's why it was called the narthex. It actually comes from the Greek word for a whip or a scourge. You say, why is that? Is people who are d- doing public penance sometimes would have to stay there for a while before they could enter back into the full congregation so they could participate. Uh, but they, So it's like the mourner's bench in a Baptist church. I see, I see, yeah, yeah. You do know what a mourner's bench is, I trust Alex. <laughs> well, I'm not that traditional of a Baptist, it turns out, so maybe you need to enlighten me. <laughs> well, if people were publicly repenting of sin, you know, would go wow. on the mourner's bench. And so in yeah, the church with people, <laughs> I guess you're just too, too good. Your church are just too Yeah, we were, we were, we were too soft. <laughs> too, uh, 
<laughs> but that's where it came from. It was the idea that, especially in the Eastern Church, it had it also had significance of when we wanted to do something liturgically that emphasized before you entered the church, you know, things for people, even outsiders. But it also technically was for people who had separated themselves of the church until they were fully reintegrated, would be in this special narthex, penit- the penitent space. <laughs> I see, I see. But that's where the well, Greek word comes from. Vestibule, probably, there's an argument among uh, Latin etymologists. I personally am of the view it has to do with vestis, which is a place where you hung up your coats. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but there's some very other good uh, arguments in Latin etymology, but I'm, I'm with the school that it's just a place you hung up your coat. I see. Corporate. So I, I, was hoping we could, we, I was hoping we would be able to talk about this aspect of the church as well. Um, so when I, you and I were up in wisconsin at a uh at a a a cathedral with a monastery attached to it um called holy hill it's a place that's pretty special to you growing up right father Mm steven um so you took me there uh and a a group of us and i remember walking into the cathedral gorgeous cathedral um but for some but it was also very kind of it was it was a little it's beautiful but it's it's also a bit sparser than the other cathedrals, so I could just sort of see the shape of the place a little bit better. And I remember walking in, being struck by the fact that if you're you know if you're looking all the way down the the main floor toward the altar from the back, and then there's these rows of pews on either side, uh, and at at the at the front is the altar and and the windows and everything. And I remember I, I told I turned to you and I said it feels like I'm standing in a ship. Uh, it feels like we're inside the big, you know, the body of an ark or a ship or something like that. And you told me, well, that's 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 exactly what it what it means. <laughs> so right. so so talk about the the nave, that main aisle or or or, or body space. Let's get into that. Yeah, when you first come into church, uh, and it's a basilica. They don't actually have a bishop there, so it's called the basilica. It's a very important church. Oh, yes, of course. That's right. For the basilica. record here. Or we'll have a lot of our, our listeners might <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get call in on that. <laughs> but the uh, but actually, the word novice is the Latin word for ship, and through French was nef in the Middle Ages. And so that's where we get the word nave. So actually, it, it symbolizes, you know, the church is a ship. Remember the, all the apostles on the ship with our Lord, you know, against the, against the winds. The, the, the church as a ship is a common motif in stained glass and things. So the ship, I have one of, in my office at home. I have a, uh, a, a reproduction of stained glass from a church in France with, you know, Christ in the boat, you know, uh, leading the, mm-hmm. the boat. Mm-hmm. So it was showing us we were all in the ship, which is the church. And so we call it the body of the ship is called the nave. And that's the main hour where all, the, all, the, all of us are sitting. Everyone who's not up front is sitting there. That's called the nave of the church. That main aisle all the way up to the front is called the nave. Okay. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, you know, actually being right about something that occurred to me. I it was so beautiful. Sure. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, you hope that something like this would happen, and it was so real and uncontrived. I thought, how right. would any? But you thought it's like a ship. Well, that's exactly what we call it a nave. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to make sure that our listeners knew that I was right about something for once. So, oh, that's great. Well, yeah, <laughs> you were so, right on um, money. Great. So, so there also in in the basilica there were also these two really beautiful smaller sanctuaries on either side you know that had an altar and and seating and everything um so what 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 was up with these side chapels why why are those sometimes there well often in europe you'll have all sorts of them you know like a church like notre dame and things i think has like seven on each side 
And there were two reasons for them. One big reason was in is the unions of the ancient world, the guilds, <laughs> yeah, would have special things where they wanted to go. It's sort of like why we have wedding chapels and things, is you'd want to go to have special things for your group, and they would often sponsor these chapels, and they would be dedicated often to saints which are connected with their, their trade. You know, like St. Crispin, you think of, uh, is the if you didn't know that from Shakespeare, St. Crispin's Day and right. things. Right, Henry V. Crispin is, uh, yes, exactly, is the patron of shoemakers. Oh, okay. You know, so things like that. So you'd have a shoemaker. If you see Crispin, you know it's have something to do with the Shoemakers Guild. Uh, so they'd <laughs> often do that. That's where they'd have, you know, special things like funerals out of there. They'd have a sort of a, a, a nice space that you could do that, have special, um, uh, you know, meetings, devotional meetings and things there. And also there's a requirement in the Roman Church that uh, we as Anglicans don't have what they call private, we don't have private Eucharist. A Eucharist is inherently involves a congregation. But the Roman Church requires every priest to to celebrate Eucharist every day. Uh, by the way, the East is like us that way. They also, you know, we follow the Eastern practice there. Uh, but think of that. They had a lot of people who were priests. And so, frankly, they had to have multiple altars so people could all basically say their masses they would express <laughs> okay, back yeah. in those days. So a lot of time in Europe, why you see all these chapels is literally they could be all be filled with priests filling their duties to, to uh, perform, you know, their, the daily Eucharist. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay, so they could be used for, for any of those purposes. But especially in, in uh, when it comes to Europe, they tended to be involved specifically with guilds or also with certain religious societies, confraternities and things who get together you know, for some good religious purpose. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if the nave is the long beam, then what's the short beam called? We call that the transept. Okay. So yeah, and that's simply that's the, the cross beam is called the transept. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the 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 shape of the of the basilica will have if it's built in that way will have both. You'll have um, and sometimes there's seating along the transept as well. Oh yeah, right? typically there's seating in the transept. It's a practical place. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I remember in my my parents' uh, church, uh, Christ Church in Plano. Uh, I we always like sitting in the seats. Uh, on the transept they're just, they're <laughs> they're they're good seats they're they're kind of more up front naturally so yeah, yeah we always like sitting there um so is the, so are there any other is there any other elements of this well there's one, one place we have that's actually a term that's used uh among people who are masters of ceremonies for these big uh liturgical functions it's called the crossing is what happens at that exact place where the nave and the transept meet there's a square they overlap and that square is called the crossing. Okay. And a lot of stuff happens there, so that's called the crossing. I see. So it's kind of like a blocking spot on the floor. Uh, yeah. In some way. Ex- okay. Imagine you put the you know you have a you have a cross and the place where the two arms overlap mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. called the crossing. I see. Um, okay, but that would be like marked on the floor somewhere or something like no, that. No, you just can it see just... it. I mean, it's pretty easy to see because you see that you have a square formed by you know everything's sure. meeting at that one place, and you have four pillars, and within those four pillars is the crossing. Okay, okay, I see, I see. Um, great. So the uh, the when I started going to Angl- Anglican churches as well, the other thing that I got um, that I I I had to quickly learn was to stop calling the front of the room the stage or the the the, ra- the yes. raised platform <laughs> where everything would happen i would call it a stage and people are like what are you talking about it's not a stage it's a it's a chancel and i was like oh, okay wow whatever i <laughs> sorry um i guess we have to have special names for everything 
but why is it called the chancel? Why? Wh- what's what's the significance there? Well, actually, it's sort of a misnaming because what a chancel actually is from the Latin was. Um, remember, we said the earliest churches for big cities were courthouses. Now, you know, this might come as a surprise, but spend any quality time in courts and you'll see, especially divorce court, uh, you'll see that sometimes people are not very friendly to each other in a court. And so the Romans actually would put up a small barrier to stop people from jumping over and hurting people. It was actually meant to be a physical barrier. (laughs) You still see them in in courthouses. Yeah, yeah. You see there's always a physical barrier, a balustrade. I think we call it in English a balustrade. But that was called, uh, the word that became chancel comes from a Latin term, it's reduced to chancel, was simply the barrier which often looks like a communion rail. Like at the Basilica you're at, they had a communion rail, which was actually would have been what the Romans would have called the chancel. But it came to describe that entire area behind. So the top of the cross, okay, the very top of the cross, you know, before you get to the cross point was called the chancel. But the chancel itself literally originally was nothing but that little wall that stopped people from jumping over and killing each other in a court. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Angry lawyers. So, <laughs> so it was originally the name for that barrier right uh, but but it actually ends up you end up calling just the whole the whole little space behind the barrier yeah the that. whole space so behind that's... is now called the chancel okay some so... people use the term sanctuary it tends to be chancel is a very anglican word mm-hmm. catholics mm-hmm. almost always refer to it as a sanctuary I see. you know but uh but at anglicans we use the term chancel is is much more common with us okay okay i see um, I've also heard, though, that 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 barrier you're talking about it. I, sometimes it in in some really traditional churches, the woodwork goes up really high, uh, almost almost to the ceiling, and has this kind of like perforated screen in the middle of it. Sometimes people call it the rude screen. Is that right? Another name for it as well? Or that, well, that the barrier? impolite screen. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> rude is an R O O D. Uh, okay. What we should tell our, our listeners is the word rude is an old English word meaning cross. Like one of the most famous uh, works yeah. in old English is called dream of the rude. It's a dream That's of the right. cross. And if you've studied That's old right. English, it's the, the, the dream of the rude. And what it was is at the top of these screens in the old churches, what you had is a, um, a, a crucifix with Mary and John on each side. Oh, and that's yeah. why they're called a rune screen because they have this big screen up there. And that was actually to give some privacy because in the chancel was a long area. <clears throat> and the front part of the chancel was used. If you ever go to these churches, you sometimes see a row of, a row of seats on both sides, mm-hmm. like stalls, stall yeah. seats. That's where they go to pray the daily offices because they were required as part of being a priest you know, or a monk. They had to pray the offices together every day. And so they'd have, that's where they get together to pray the offices and it sort of helped keep the sound in and just give them some privacy. So they put up these screens. But it okay. sort of fenced out regular folks. So the first thing we did at the Reformation is go into the churches and tear down the root screens. <laughs> one of the first acts of the Reformation in English is tear down the rube screens. If you want to see a dramatic one in, uh, in French, uh, they're called jube. And the best one in existence in, in France is, a, is one of my favorite churches, Saint-Étienne-du-Mont, St. Stephen of the Mountain. It's right next to the Pantheon in Paris. But mm. really go in there. It's amazing. It's the, it's the best extant. It's a marble rude screen. It's uh, just something to behold. That's fantastic. So again, if you go to Paris, go to uh, Saint-Étienne-du-Mont. Uh, and uh, see the the largest jube, as it's called. It's a rude screen, uh, the French name for a rude screen. Okay, okay, I see. Um, so also, though, the, you know, I grew up thinking of the choir as the group of people singing, but also I've heard the choir referred to as ac- an actual element of the building. So where's that? 
That's when you have those seats. If you decide to station the choir where they're facing each other on both sides, <coughs> yeah, yeah, in a cathedral, that's what's called the choir. I see. Is the choir simply means if you have the seats like that facing each other, those seats are where they would sing in choir. That is, they would actually sing the the, the morning prayer and evening prayer, where they would sing that. And that was called the choir. So if you had that, it would be called uh, the the choir. That's only used like with great cathedrals and things. We never only say the choir is wherever the choir sits. <laughs> yeah, I feel like people like most folks might re- might recognize that mostly from watching like royal weddings in England. Yes. You know, that's where all the like the boys' choir are, and they have facing each other. So it's those rows of seats uh, beyond the you know in in the chancel beyond the uh, you know rude screen if you have it. Well, there's one neat thing they used to do. If you've ever had, there's a wonderful service during Holy Week called Tenebrae. It used to be mm-hmm. very, very common. But the Tenebrae, you're putting out one candle after each reading until finally there's only one candle left. And when that candle is put behind the altar, what all the monks used to do is they would slam the seats down yeah. <laughs> and make this huge sound. And you still, it's called the sonatus. They used to have a lot of name for it. This, this, uh-huh. this like thunder sound. And they would do that. So uh, now we use a special noisemaker for it, or use something. You know, but they used to actually just slam down their, the slam down the uh, seats. I see. I see. Simultaneously. Okay. Wow. wow. Um, yeah. So, are there any other any other elements of the of the church building that I should know about? Well, typically at the very end of the church, where you have the altar, that's normally rounded. Most churches have a rounded end. It's more pleasing. Almost always have a rounded end at the top, mm-hmm. and they put the altar in there, and that's called the apse. A-P-S-E, apse. Okay. Not the kind of thing that bit, 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 bit Cleopatra, that's an asp. It's the opposite, apps. <laughs> like apps, like okay. what you have in your computer, you get or on your phone. You get apps. Yeah, like, like apps, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like apps, or like an, or like, an, like an apple, it's an appetizer at Applebee's. Yeah, an app, Duh, yeah, you're so there. And okay, sometimes so that, what you had that you'll see in churches in Europe a lot, or big churches, is, you know, what do you do when you need to get somewhere in the, sanct- in the, in the sanctuary or in the chancel but you don't want to, there's a service going on. You don't want to just, so the way they, they create sort of secret walkways in the back, like little, mm-hmm. little covered passages where you could cleverly get around during the service to get things done. And that's called an ambulatory from Latin to walk. It's a place you could walk around, but it was there specifically. You know, I used to be a verger. A verger takes care of master ceremonies types of things. And it was, mm-hmm. it's, that's what you allow you to have a way without anybody seeing you that you could go around to get things where they need to be. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I see, I see. Um, uh, there, 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 there is one of those at, at our cathedral. Uh, interestingly, because it's not originally yeah. a church, it's a, it's a, a, it's an old factory. But there is actually kind of the, there's a little ambulatory behind. Exactly what, right. Uh, ended up being the ended up being the the chancel. So that, that's really cool. So, exactly, so people can get from one side to the choir side without going in front of everybody and things. You could just do it when no one notices. Yeah, sure. So now you're pretty set for a medieval uh, cathedral, any big Anglican church anywhere. You're going to see all the traditional churches will look like this. Like you go to Church of the Ascension, and the, which is the biggest church in Pittsburgh, you know, in our diocese mm-hmm. there. It's uh, a beautiful church. The, yeah. Beautiful church. Uh, that You'll see all these kind of features. Right. Absolutely. Oh, that, that's great. So um, what's the what's the name for the little room where uh, the all the 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 chalices and the patents and all the, all the communion, all the Eucharist supplies. And sometimes people, uh, priests hang up their, their vestments in it. What's the name for that room? Uh, that's called the sacristy. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's and sometimes people have two sacristies. They have one where you actually put on the vestments, and the other where you keep all the vessels and things. If so, you call sure. one the vesting sacristy. So right. if you have two separate rooms, a place where you actually put on your vestments is called the vesting sacristy, as opposed to the other sacristy or the altar guild's using to get the communion trays ready and things. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. Now what and, you do is sometimes people have this special little. Um, Originally in churches in Europe, you'll sometimes find this box built into the wall, like a bread box built into the wall of the church. That's called mm-hmm. an ombry. A M B R Y or A U M B R Y, both ways. And what that is was simply a place where you put holy oils, and you'd put vessels. You know, so you could lock them up. You didn't want to leave gold vessels and things out. Right. And so we'll typically for Anglican churches, those are now in the sacristy. You'll have a box okay. where people lock those up, and that's called the ombry. Yeah. Now, there's also this thing that you see, I think, especially in in like Reformation history, um, there the pulpit where the preacher preaches from is this like raised, almost like box or something. And there's, sometimes it's really dramatic. Like there's like stairs to it and oh, everything. Yeah. Um, our uh, the the church that we purchased has one that's that's a little more. Uh, subtle it's kind of closer to the ground and everything but what's that thing called it's called an ambo and actually what you need to be an ambo a lot of people are using that term just generically for pulpits and things an mm-hmm. ambo has to have stairs i mean traditionally actually the uh, okay. original ambo you'll love this has coming and going up and down stairs separate yeah <laughs> you go up one side so you actually the idea was so people can come in order like if you have people reading in turn one mm-hmm. without you don't have to cross each other you just move down the other stairs and the other person moved up like really old Some churches of- you have sets on both sides some of them even have little like ceilings almost like yes kind of like little raised ceilings that are that yeah are it's called an uh, i know the french term it's called an abasson it means it's okay. uh basically it's meant like uh what do you call um like on lamps like a lampshade it's basically uh-huh. to direct the the sound down i see okay yeah yeah so yeah that's what they have also i love this sometimes these are beautifully decorated typically the ambos will have the four evangelists on them or if they have one they'll have an eagle for john mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so have a big eagle and another thing like a church i told you about one of my favorite things is their ambo is the whole thing is held up by samson oh cool <laughs> i kid you not samson's holding this thing up it's amazing it's this huge that's really cool uh you know ambo is held up by samson yeah, the guy just never yeah. gets tired just keep him away from your supporting walls that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, thanks, Father Stephen. Anything else you have for us on uh, church architecture? No, I think it's uh, good to know. Again, I would think the, the idea of the, 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 especially the baptistry being at the front of the church or symbol of entering into that, the fact that the boat, the church is a boat, uh, these things, just knowing some of our terminology, it's not really that. Um, uh, it just tells us so much. It's like grandma's house. You know, we know where everything is. It uh, makes us feel comfortable anywhere we go. Well, thanks so much, Father Stephen, and thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back again next week for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening. <laughs>